What is your opinion on probiotics? Don't waste your time. I'm going to say, I know this is exactly the opposite of what everybody else will say. Your body is already colonized with bacteria of all different kinds. What really matters is the other foods that you're eating. Are they the ones that nurture the survival of the healthy bacteria or do they nurture the survival of unhealthy bacteria? Hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen, or a view, or a download, wherever it is in the world that you are. We appreciate the fact that you are here. And we are rounding out this year with a big episode. It is Dr. Neil Barnard answering your questions for the next half hour. We have so many fantastic people who wrote in and stuffed the doctor's mailbag and we tried to get to as many of those questions as we possibly could. Questions like what you heard at the beginning of the show, what are Dr. Barnard's thoughts on probiotics and fermented foods? You heard that little clip, but he's gonna go a lot deeper with his answer in just a little bit. Plus, we heard from somebody who needed some advice. They said, well, look, I just began eating a plant-based diet and my blood sugar has really improved, but I haven't lost any weight. So how could that be and how can I get the scale moving? Dr. Barnard has some great advice for that. Plus, we're also going to hear whether soy curls should be part of a healthy plant-based diet and iron absorption. This is a big one. Can you get enough iron on a plant-based diet? How do you get enough iron on a plant-based diet? Very interesting question that we have not yet tackled on the show as well is this, and it has to do with hair loss. Is there a connection between taking meat off of your plate and dairy out of your diet and hair loss? Dr. Barnard has a ton to say about that and He's also going to help somebody out who wrote in and said their doctor is trying to get a family member to adopt the keto diet. What advice does Dr. Barnard have for them? That's just some of the questions that we have because today's doctor's mailbag is stuffed. So for the next half hour, we're going to get to as many of those questions as we possibly can. So let's go ahead and raise our nutrition IQs right now. The first question comes to us from John today, and he wants to know what is your opinion on probiotics, either supplements or as part of fermented veggies such as sauerkraut or kimchi? Don't waste your time. <laughs> I know this is exactly the opposite of what everybody else will say. They'll say you should go to the store and get probiotics, which, which really mean bacteria that you can use to, to nurture your gut bacteria. Um, and sometimes they sell them as capsules, as powders, and um, they'll shove them into yogurt um, products and so forth. But the reason I'm, I'm gonna say don't waste your time is that your body is already colonized with bacteria of all different kinds. And, and what really matters is the other foods that you're eating. So are they the ones that nurture the survival of the healthy bacteria or do they nurture the survival of unhealthy bacteria? And if you are eating healthy plant-based foods, 
whole grains, beans, vegetables, and fruits. They nurture the survival of, of the good bacteria. So researchers recently did a study where they looked at people who had taken antibiotics, which kind of clean out your gut. And so you want to replenish your healthy bacteria, right? So you go to the store and you get probiotics. Turns out that the people who did that did not replenish their gut bacteria as well as people who just let nature take its course. So um, I have stopped recommending probiotics for anything. And even after the use of antibiotics, I just suggest that you eat a healthy diet and the probiotics will come in on their own from nature. Next question, Dr. Barnard, comes to us from Gigi. Gigi writes, in less than a month, my morning blood sugar has gone from 16.9 to 5.5, but my weight has not changed much. How could that be? Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, you've had a huge improvement in your blood sugar control. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, and by the way, for people who are confused about these numbers, I am, I'm wondering if maybe you might be uh, coming from Canada. Um, where they use different numbers compared to the United States. I mean, the person in the United States would be glad to be under 100. Um, but so how can your blood sugar control improve, but your weight hasn't improved yet? Well, if you're on a healthy plant-based diet, you're, you're going to get the both, best of both worlds. Um, it will improve both your blood sugar and your weight and your cholesterol and your blood pressure very likely. But if the weight change is lagging behind, look at the fat content of your diet. And that means oils used in cooking. It means nuts or nut products like peanut butter. Um, and it can mean uh, avocados in, as in a guacamole fest. Fats have nine calories per gram. And so even though they won't spike your blood sugar, they, they don't have any sugar in them. They won't spike your blood sugar and your blood sugar control can continue to improve. But um, what you'll discover is that your weight uh, uh, doesn't drop so much. So uh, if if that's you, you might try for the next month or so, just leaving all the fatty foods aside and see if your weight doesn't uh, improve. Um, in the bargain, because getting fats out of your diet also helps get the fat out of your cells, your blood sugar is likely to come down even more because your blood sugar, the, the sugar molecules in the blood can now get into the cells once the fat is gone. So vegan, yes really reducing the fatty foods will make it even more powerful. Next question comes to us from David. Wondering about iron, he writes, could it be that high iron is a symptom of heart disease and not the cause? Um, it really is the, It really is a cause. Um, when it, we've known about this really for a really long time. For many decades, uh, researchers uh, have known that high iron levels can damage the heart. There's a condition called hemochromatosis in which people have the inability to normally regulate their iron levels and it's damaging to the heart. So that, that's been really clear. It's, it's, it's a genetic condition for many people. Um, however, uh, we're taking this in a couple of other directions. Um, the first thing is that we know that it doesn't just affect the heart, it can also affect the brain. Um, so high, high iron levels are now thought to be a contributor to Alzheimer's disease, we believe. So be really careful about that. The other thing about this is that back in the 1950s, the whole idea was the more iron, the better. You can't go wrong, um, eat a lot of steak, eat liver, it's got a lot of iron, take iron supplements, take Geritol. Um, well, uh, the, the scientific community has hit the brakes hard uh, on that. And we now know that while you need to have adequate iron, 
having more than adequate iron is a mistake. And when you go to your doctor and your doctor checks your iron level, and, and we'll check other things too, your hemoglobin and hematocrit are indices of, are, do you have an adequate blood cell volume? And then your iron level can be checked. Ferritin is uh, stored iron. All those things can be easily checked. Where we've wanted to see people now is within the normal range on these, on these numbers, but sort of to the bottom end of normal. In other words, you don't have any symptoms, you're fine, you got loads of energy, you're in the normal range, but you have not accumulated lots of excess stored iron because if you have, that's driving the heart disease and driving the Alzheimer's according to the best evidence we've got. Next question comes to us from Elena. She says, I've heard you talking about seitan and tofu as plant-based protein sources. Obviously, legumes in there too, just as any plants. But what about soy curls specifically? She says that her family absolutely loves them. Yeah. Um, first of all, they're fine. They're, they're great. And second of all, they are dramatically better than what they replace. Um, and what they replace for a lot of people is like those little chunks of pork or chicken or something that they would have put in their rice dish. Soy, soy curls are far healthier. All right. Uh, Teresa is wondering, on a plant-based diet, can you still lose hair? Does not happen very much. Um, well, uh, well, first of all, let me just say, um, back in the 1980s or so, uh, in the 80s, 1990s, the op something quite the, the reverse was happening in Japan. Uh, we've talked about this a few times when Japan started westernizing and it's traditional plant sort of plant friendly diet, plant emphasizing diet of rice and vegetables, relatively little meat. When that diet gave way to a more westernized diet, which, which was burgers and chicken and, and, and cheese started coming in, which is not a tradition, uh, Japanese tradition. Um, not only was there more breast cancer, more hot flashes, more diabetes, more heart disease, more weight problems. But you started to see more reports of hair loss. And what researchers started to believe is that a meaty diet would tend to increase the effect of testosterone on the hair follicle, causing men to lose their hair more than before. And I'm inclined to think that's probably true, um, that hair loss is um, a genetic thing in one sense. Um, both men and women have genes that can cause them to lose hair, it runs in families. But what ex causes the expression is testosterone activity. So the whole reason women don't lose their hair and men do overall is because men have more testosterone. Um, and were a man to have a traumatic loss of his testes um, in adolescence, he would never go bald. Um, don't try this at home. Um, but anyway, the, the, the point being, that when testosterone activity is ramped up inappropriately with a Western diet, you see more hair loss. Okay, so what about on a vegan diet? About once every three years, I hear of somebody who, who felt that their hair was kind of thinning on uh, because they made a diet change. And it sort of reminds me of, um, if you ever knew some, somebody who, when they gave birth, noticed that they started losing hair a lot. And people say, well, now you're building your nest. Um, they make kind of, inappropriate comments about it, but, but with any big hormonal shift, there sometimes is a very temporary hair loss, but we, we really don't see it with vegan diets very much. If you are having hair loss on a vegan diet or any other diet, you might want to check with your dermatologist and see what's, what's going on. Uh, maybe the last thing I'll just mention really quickly. Um, if your hair just seems um, 
really unhealthy and it's undergoing changes, you might, when, the next time you see your primary care doc, get tested for your thyroid level uh, because when your thyroid is misbehaving, um, uh, your hair can change and your skin can change. And so for lots of folks, the, the reasons are they're not getting ad adequate iodine anymore uh, because they've stopped using iodized salt. And, and this is this is true for meat eaters as well as vegans, everybody. It's really easy to run low on, on, on iodine. Lots of people are add that to your diet. That should help. If you did, did have some temporary hair loss during a diet transition, uh, time is gonna bring it back. Um, I have heard a few people say that when when this has happened, and this is, I've only heard about this maybe five times in the past 30 years. Um, some people add plant protein, tofu, um, tempeh, those things, and found that that was helpful for them too. So give it a try, see what happens. Oh, that is really, that is in-depth, thorough advice. I honestly yeah. was not expecting that. That is phenomenal. Thank you. Sure. All right. Next question comes to us from Amanda. She actually could use some help here. She writes that I've been plant-based 25 years and all of the sudden I've fallen off the wagon and now I crave fast food and meat constantly. I don't know what triggered it or how to reverse it except to practice willpower. Do you have any advice to help? Well, willpower is a good thing and it's in short supply these days, but if you have it, um, use it. That's great. What could be happening is that right now, um, it's, as we're recording this, this is the middle of December and the days are about as short as they are going to get. And in a few days, they're going to start getting gradually longer when the days are getting shorter, meaning it's, you have more darkness, um, and it's getting colder. Your inner squirrel is looking for nuts. Um, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, your bodies are programmed to actually eat more food, uh, during the, this time so that we're storing it for the winter. You tell your body you don't need to store anything on your on, on your stomach or on your thighs because you've got it stored on your shelves, you got it stored in the fridge. Um, but your body was programmed a really long time ago, so some of that is is absolutely normal. And what you'll very likely discover is that after the middle of December, beginning of January, February, that that drive to eat sort of goes away. Um, what's the thing to do? Don't be hungry. Eat healthful foods and sort of fill up on the low calorie food. So you got my apple here that beats the heck out of a candy bar or a chicken wing or something like that. It's mostly water and got a lot of fiber. And, and when you nosh on those things, the weight gain is not likely to happen. Oh, I'm a big fan of apples, especially yeah. the Honeycrisp. Um, yeah, here's one from Kathy. Uh, she needs some help here for her husband. She says that my husband's doctor told him two years ago to eat keto to stave off of diabetes. She goes through some of the numbers there, but she wants to know what can I tell him to convince him that his diet is now actually killing him? Oh my goodness. Thanks. It's, um, what, where do we start? Um, there, there has been, um, quite a lot of evidence on what these diets do. Now it's true that if a person has high blood sugar and they begin a diet, that has no sugar in it or has no carbohydrate in it, their blood sugar is likely to fall. You're basically starving your body for sugar. And the thing about it is that sugar or glucose is your cell's favorite fuel. Your muscles run on glucose, your brain runs on glucose. And so that's why we eat natural sugars and apples and other fruit and carbohydrates, whether they're in potatoes or pasta or whatever, they liberate sugar. 
and it nourishes our cells and everything's fine. So um, the keto theory is, well, I'm gonna starve the body for its natural carbohydrate. And so it's got to burn fat and that's true. And it will burn fat on your body, but it will also burn fat that you're eating. It'll burn the, the gravy and so forth that you're eating to a degree. So what happens? Um, for many people, nothing happens. They don't lose weight at all because while their body is eating fat, uh, is burning fat, since they are not eating any carbohydrate, they're eating all plenty of fat and replacing what was on their body. So they're not losing weight at all. But what is really troubling, especially, is over the long run. Um, although weight loss normally causes cholesterol levels to fall, about one point off your cholesterol per pound lost, the exception of that is with keto. There are a fair number of keto dieters who, who defy that healthy rule. And instead of losing cholesterol, their, their cholesterol levels are going up. Um, on average, bad cholesterol LDL will go up about 10 points on one of these keto diets and it stays up in the studies we've seen as long as, frankly, as long as you watch. Um, and that's gonna raise your, your risk of heart disease. Now the keto enthusiasts will say, well, don't worry about bad cholesterol, focus instead on triglycerides and so forth. They're making a huge mistake. LDL cholesterol is as atherogenic as we ever thought it was, um, despite the keto people trying to make it go away. Um, the other thing, is that you're eating all the foods that we now know to be linked to long-term cancer risk. Now, none of, I'm, I'm talking about colorectal cancer, breast cancer, and others. And these things are by and large not even looked at in short-term ketogenic research studies. So uh, my suggestion is that you avoid a ketogenic diet. The problem is if you have a loved one or a friend who is doing it, it becomes like a religion to them in some cases where they don't wanna hear about it. They just are such believers. And what it is, is they have fallen in love with what the scale is telling them that you've managed to lose some weight. And then you kind of disregard the health of the heart or the digestive tract or all these other things. And the, the biggest tragedy of it is when you look at these people over the long run, the mortality um, during the follow-up period of research studies in low carb dieters, about 30% higher than other people. So this is part of, this is among the many reasons why we promote a healthy plant-based diet. It, it does promote weight loss and lower cholesterol and lower risk of cancer. You get you get the package all in one. Quite a few benefits, no doubt. Uh, let's switch gears here. Uh, Richard has an interesting question, one that I believe you've actually done a study on. Richard wants to know, what are the best foods to help reverse diabetic neuropathy? Oh, my goodness sakes. Uh, well, first of all, if you're dealing with that, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're, you're dealing with it. But there's, there is more than enough reason for hope, and I'm gonna share this with you. Um, for people who don't know what we're talking about, when you've had diabetes for a while, it starts attacking you. You, you, you know about this, it attacks your eyes. It attacks your kidneys. It can attack your nerves, and that's neuropathy. And if you're lucky, you just have some mild numbness in your toes, but if you're not so lucky, what you have is um, inappropriately triggered pain, uh, stabbing, or pins and needles, um, or chronic aching, or you lie down and the bed sheets touch your feet and it just sends off these pain uh, symptoms that, that can just be so discouraging. So what's happening is that the diabetes process is attacking your, your nerves. Um, we did a research study on this very topic uh, quite a number of years ago. We brought in about three dozen people. They all had had diabetes for a long time. They all had neuropathy. 
And we did three things. Vegan diet. Animal products are gone. Keep oils really low. So we're learning non-oil cooking techniques. And third, choose the healthiest carbohydrate, the low glycemic index carbohydrates, the ones that don't spike your blood sugar. Um, and what we found was two things. Um, first of all, people felt better. Um, we use a quantitative scale. Are you, are you mildly improved, moderately improved, improved, dramatically improved, that kind of thing. And yes, people do feel better, but we also then measured their nerve function, which you can do by measuring what's called galvanic skin response in the hands and in the feet. And it improves, um, which is fabulous because we had a control group of people who did not get the intervention and they do what, what, what happens when people have diabetes. Um, they continue to get worse. So uh, try those three steps. No animal products, keep oils really low, choose the healthy carbohydrates. You'll see more information about this in my book on rever reversing diabetes and, and also in my new book called Your Body and Balance. And give it a shot and see if you don't get better. Real quick, I want to say hi to Lisa, who is watching us right now in London, and also to Bernie, who's watching us in Scotland. Thank you guys so very much for tuning in today. Appreciate you watching the exam room live and raising your nutrition IQs with us. Dr. Bard, our next question comes to us from Jackie. She wants to know, how does a plant-based diet help with menopause? Oh, well, what a great question. It's actually something that we've been doing quite a lot of work on right now. Um, one of the things that's most troubling when women reach 50, 51, 52, is they start to develop hot flashes. And what hot flashes are, it's the blood vessels in the skin open up and you start, you feel hot and you'll feel really hot and you'll start perspiring. And, and it seems to come just when you're on a Zoom call or you're in a meeting or something like that and you're dripping with sweat and you're fanning. Um, it goes away pretty soon, but then you'll, you'll have chills afterwards and it can come at night and you'll wake up and you can wake up three times, four times, five times, six times. And, and then that means you feel crummy the next day. So, so it's no joke. Um, really two things can, can be done here. Um, the first is uh, researchers at McGill University noticed years ago that countries where plant-based diets or mostly plant-based diets were the tradition, there was dramatically less hot flashes, uh, Japan, uh, parts of China, rural Mexico, where it was black beans and tortillas and that kind of thing. And they also noticed that when these countries would westernize, hot flashes would come in. So what we think is happening is that the plant-based diet is regulating hormonal activity in a healthful way. So number one, if you're not already on a low-fat vegan diet, go there for sure. The second thing is soy products, um, soybeans, uh, and even soy extracts of various kinds seem to have a uh, an anti-hot flash effect. So you could do that. How much? Uh, what I would do is I would get yourself um, a pressure cooker and cook up a big vat of soybeans and apportion it out half a cup a day. If you want to for fun, you could then once it's cooked, spread the soybeans on a cooking sheet and bake them for about an hour at 350. And you've now got roasted soybeans, have a half a cup a day, and the isoflavones in them are not only um, a cancer preventer, they reduce the risk of breast cancer. So high soy intake reduces breast cancer risk about 30%. But it also, for many women, reduces hot flashes. So do the combination, vegan diet, add the soy, and um, you've got the best of all worlds. There are all kinds of other things. There's black cohosh and, um, and, and other supplements that are sold. They work for some women, but probably not as reliably as what I just described. 
Yeah, and you wrote about this so magnificently in your latest book, Your Body and Balance, had the opportunity to speak with uh, women who have gone through this, like Anne out west, uh, the former police officer who was having hot flashes until she added soy to her diet, saw just dramatic improvement. So cannot recommend that book enough if you're still looking for a holiday present for your loved ones. Chuck, thank you, thank you for mentioning that. I've got to tell you something. About three, four months ago, um, a woman had a woman called me up because she had read Your Body and Balance, and she had had terrible hot flashes. And she decided she was going to put it to work. And she did exactly what we just described, a vegan diet. And although in your body and balance, I described a wide range of ways of using soy products. She said, look, let's just do the actual soybean itself. Um, and you go on Amazon and you can order some Laura soybeans and put them in your instant pot. And you got a whole bunch uh, together. And within three days, her hot flashes were gone. So, I mean, if, if you've been suffering with this for a long time, um, give it a try. I really think the the benefit is going to vary a lot from one woman to another. And we clearly need more research on this very topic. Um, and we're, we're doing that research now. Um, and I'm hoping others will too. But there's no reason to wait because all of the side effects are, are good ones. Uh, Follow-up question to what we were talking about with probiotics and gut health a little bit earlier. Beta here is wondering, has microbiota changed because of long-term stress and would probiotics at all help in this case? It's a super question. My, my guess is that it's probably not stress directly affecting it, but stress leads us to the refrigerator and that will affect it um, because anything that actually goes down your intestinal tract is going to affect your, your, gut, your gut microbiome. Next question. Don't worry, be happy. How about that? Uh, does rinsing olives cut down on the high sodium content? Yeah, it will. Um, the olive itself is not really so dramatically high um, in sodium, but the brine that, that they might be soaked in um, can be depending on, on which one it is. And that's true for vegetables in general. You look at the sodium content on a can of green beans or a can of pinto beans or peas or anything, um, that salt for the most part was added at the factory. And you can rinse it away or you can get no salt added products and you'll be impressed by how low sodium the plant foods are. Uh, going back to soy, Seema wants to know, will soy affect weight loss? Probably not. Um, uh, I, I really doubt it. Um, it. It's not harmful in any, in any way and it's always better than what it replaces. But I doubt that it's going to accelerate uh, a change in your weight, I'm sorry to say. But all the other parts of a healthy plant-based diet will. So if your diet is rich in grains like brown rice um, and so forth and lots of vegetables, uh, fruits, lots of beans, and you're getting away from the animal product by avoiding the fatty animal products and also uh, minimizing the added vegetable oils too, your weight's going to come down. Jana here, apparently trying to stay regular. She wants to do uh, your, your advice here or opinion on prunes versus Metamucil. Which one is better and how many prunes are too many? <laughs> well, first of all, your gut will tell you. Um, from a health standpoint, you can have prunes all day long, but uh, let your gut be your guide by that. Test it out and see. Uh, if you're new to it, start small, work your way up. Uh, but Metamucil... Um, Hopefully you don't need Metamucil. Metamucil is marketed to people who are not eating prunes or, and frankly, you don't have to have prunes. Um, if you are on a plant-based diet, you're getting fiber in every single mouthful that you have because all fruits have fiber. 
all vegetables have fiber, all whole grains have fiber, all beans have fiber. Metamucil is, they take seeds and remove the fiber from them and stick them in a bottle and sell them to people who are eating chicken, which doesn't have fiber, or salmon, which doesn't have fiber, or steak, which doesn't have fiber. Um, so uh, hopefully you won't need Metamucil. You are, you're right to have prunes, but if you're on a really healthy vegan diet um, without a lot of overly refined foods where they take the fiber out, you're going to be fine. There's uh, some ch- uh, talk about diabetes right now in the chat box, and somebody was saying, well, there's a big difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes, and we know that there is significant benefits specifically with type 2 diabetes. In many cases, it can be reversed, but what benefits would somebody who has type 1 diabetes see from a plant-based diet? Uh, a, a healthy plant-based diet is really important both for type 2 and for type 1. The effects differ a little bit. With type, with type 2, your pancreas is making some insulin. Maybe not as much as before, but it's making some insulin. And the big problem with type 2 is once that insulin makes its way through the blood to your muscles or to your liver, the insulin attaches to the muscle cells and the liver cells but it can't work. It's, it's not working. It's like a key that's in the lock, but the lock is all jammed. And that's because your cells have been filled with fat particles that's, that are causing insulin resistance. So that's type two. So when you're on a healthy vegan diet and there's no animal fat left and the vegetable oils are really low, that fat starts to dissipate and then the insulin can work again. Okay. With type one, pancreas is kind of gone into retirement. It's the insulin producing cells are mostly gone. And so in that case, you need to inject insulin, but you still have the same problem in that if your cells are filled with fat, you'll also have insulin resistance. So now you've got two problems. So a person with type two, they go vegan. They've got a chance of not only improve, well, improving their blood sugar, but reducing their medication needs. And in some cases, getting rid of the disease for all intents and purposes. For type 1, if you go on a healthy vegan diet, you will still need to take your insulin. But the amount you need could well be dramatically reduced because you are tackling the other problem, which is the insulin resistance issue. So the amount you need may may go way, way down. And, And if you do this, test yourself carefully. We just published a case report where we had people just dramatically improving on with type 1 on a vegan diet. But the other thing, the, the really important thing, whether it's type one or type two, it's not a high blood sugar that, that's gonna kill you in the vast majority of cases. It's not a low blood sugar that's gonna kill you in the vast majority of cases. What's gonna happen is a heart attack or the vasculature of the kidneys. Um, the, the blood vessels are being attacked by the disease process. So you don't want a drop of cholesterol. You don't want a drop of animal fat in your diet. You want to baby those arteries because that's the killer in diabetes. So healthy plant-based diet, it will get your blood sugar control as good as it's ever going to get, but it also will baby your arteries and let you live hopefully a completely normal life. And that's what you want, whether it's type one, whether it's type two, or even gestational. All right, time for a couple of more questions. Maria here has a great follow-up to this. We got the science now, but she says that her mom is pre-diabetic and it's challenging to motivate her to get her to change. What advice can you offer her? Put orange cones around the kitchen. (laughs) You go in there. She doesn't go in there. Seize control. You've got to feed her. Okay, she may not go for that. Um, Do the best you can to, to make this change easy. A lot, of, a lot of people are reluctant to change for the simple reason 
that they haven't really heard of this. Um, or they haven't heard of it from their doctor. They've heard of it from you, but they think you're kind of a zealot, so they're not really sure it's true. Um, so the, the more you can you can kind of take over and encourage her to make to, to, to do this, it's a good idea. A um, couple other tips. You might want to ask her to do it as a short-term experiment. If she goes vegan for even a month or even just three weeks, um, and, and if she does it strictly in the way I described, get the animal products out, keep the oils low, she will discover that her blood sugar will improve even in that time frame. Um, secondly, you can give her a copy of my book on, on diabetes or, or your body imbalance. It describes it and then it's coming from me, not you. Um, or if you um, if she watches videos, go onto YouTube. There's a video that I did a few years ago that's been very widely watched. Just put in Neil Barnard TEDx. You know what I'm talking about, the TED, TEDx talks, diabetes, and it's been watched millions of times. And um, I think she'll be convinced, at least I hope so. There, there are so many people who've been reluctant to make this change. Once they do, their lives just transform. So I hope she does that. And when she does, she will have you to thank. Here, here. All right, let's uh, sneak a, one more in here. This one is from Andrea. She wants to know, should diet help with hypothyroidism? She says that I've been vegan for three years, but recently had to go on medication. Is there a chance that I can manage through diet and get off of my medication? Yes, yeah, 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 for, for sure, in, in two ways. Um, uh, first of all, uh, everybody is different. Everyone has their own effects, so don't fire your endocrinologist, and if you're on medication, don't throw them away. I, Everything I'm going to describe should be incorporated into your medical medical regimen and not a replacement for it. But the, the two areas where foods come in big, big time with regard to hypothyroidism is the classic one. 1924, the Morton company started selling Morton salt, uh, iodized salt with the, you know, the blue canister and the girls got the umbrella. Um, iodized salt did what food products hadn't done up until 1924, which was to, to provide a really reliable and consistent source of iodine in the diet. And without iodine, you can't make thyroid hormone. So even now, uh, a lot of people are iodine deficient. Maybe probably three quarters of people are running low on, on iodine. Um, there's a lot of it in sea vegetables, but people just aren't eating them in Omaha. So, um, so uh, if you happen to be low in iodine, Iodized salt will help, even about a third of a teaspoon a day, something like that. Or even easier, just go to the health food store and get a, a, an iodine supplement, often sold as kelp. Uh, 150 micrograms a day is the recommended amount, and, and that, that will help. Okay, so that's thing one. Thing two, if you're not already on a vegan diet, uh, people should follow a vegan diet. The risk of hypothyroidism is highest in people who are enthusiastic with dairy and lowest in people who are on a totally vegan diet. So if you're already vegan, um, your doctor can easily mention, measure your iodine levels. They do it with a urine, urine collection um, and other tests with, with, that will very rapidly um, help you to see what your thyroid st status is. Um, last, last thing, if you are on thyroid supplementation now, take it on an empty stomach because any food you eat, even organic asparagus, locally grown, if you eat it when, at the same time as you take the pill, foods slow down uh, the absorption and they're going to goof up your thyroid. So all, if you're on supplementation, take it on an empty stomach. 
All right, we're going to go ahead and close up that mailbag. But if we did not get to your question, I promise you it is stored safely in there. And we will do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Yes, in 2021. Before we go, I do have a favor to ask of you. If you've enjoyed this show and you support the work that the Physicians Committee does about educating people about nutrition and all the work that we also do with animals, I encourage you, please, right now, if you can, head over to PCRM.org and click the donate button that's at the top of the page and give what you can. Because through the end of the year, we will match dollar for dollar the donation. So essentially, your donation will be doubled. So just go to PCRM.org slash donate and give what you can to continue our work here at the Physicians Committee, including these wonderful shows, The Exam Room and The Exam Room Podcast. Dr. Barnard, it's been such a fun year doing The Exam Room Live. I, you know, Selfishly, I will say that this has been my favorite project at the Physicians Committee this year. But what are some of the things that you've been grateful for that we've been able to accomplish? Well, I've been delighted, frankly, that we were able to do this at all. I think back even 12 months ago. Um, we weren't really thinking technically about ways to reach people as we have. And I want to thank you, Chuck, for stepping up and making this happen um, with your expertise and, and just the, the way the way you handle it is just fantastic. And, and it's been fun to work with you, but also so much fun to be able to work with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who have been watching this. So um, I'm delighted. I'm delighted with uh, the fact that we're able to, to do it and to, to continue in the new year. You can find a link to donate to the Physicians Committee to continue to support our incredible work here, our life-saving work. You can find that right now in the episode notes. Anything that you can give would be appreciated, and that donation will be matched through the end of the year. What a great show it was today. I feel like I really am a little bit smarter when it comes to nutrition. I always feel like I learned something. But today we had a ton of new questions, topics that we haven't yet covered too much on the show. And so to hear what Dr. Barnard had to say about those and school us up, educate us, give us an opportunity to raise that nutrition IQ. I can't think of a better way to wrap up the year. And what a year it's been. My goodness gracious, 2020. Are you ready for this year to be in the rear view as well? <laughs> 2021, though, I have a sneaking suspicion is going to be a really good year. Because despite what you may feel about this year and all of the chaos, the heartache, the agony, the divisiveness, all of that has still laid the groundwork for a much healthier 2021. We've done 90 plus episodes of the exam room this year. 90 some odd times to get educated, to become inspired, and to learn how to not only improve our own health, but that of our friends and our loved ones. That is what we are going to continue to do in 2021 in new ways, in creative ways in ways that we haven't even thought of yet. Because nutrition science is always evolving and there will always be new things to talk about. 
So join us next year as we continue to learn together. And if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever shows are available. Hit that subscribe button and please leave a five-star rating because every new subscription and every five-star rating helps someone who needs this information the most discover it and ultimately lead a healthier life. And that's going to do it for us this year. 2020, goodbye. 2021, hello. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for joining us today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. Have a happy new year. And remember, stay safe, take a stand, and keep it plant-based.